Now what will it be? Death or exile? All right, we're gonna start with the I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. Should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Worst part of it is they're gonna blame us for the whole thing. And they can't have people knowing the truth. We're the next generation. The cover-up. Don't forget, we're the exiles. Very well. Death! <laughs> By exile. Welcome everyone back to a special episode of the Film Exiles podcast. Um, we're coming back with us today, we have Manu, uh, I'm Millennial Mike, and we have a super special guest. We are so honored, so happy to have him on today. That is David Raymond, the director of the upcoming Night Hunter, uh, otherwise known as what, codename Nomis, right? Yeah, Nomis was definitely my title, but it is called Night Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned that. I, you know, I am following you on Twitter, and I saw you um, posting about Nomis, and you kind of like didn't really. I, I mean, I'm not sure if it's uh, okay for me to say this, but you kind of didn't really acknowledge the Night Hunter title. It sounds like you're kind of corroborating my statement now that Night Hunter is, you know, that's like the. But Nomis is like that's your movie, right? Well, here, here's the thing, and this is you know learning curve for me too. But the I clearly prefer the title gnomis but that's part of you know independent filmmaking when your film gets bought and and i you know to saban's credit i i really like the team over there and i and i think you know it's a it's a good home for the film you know gnomis firstly on that gnomis there is a narrative reason for the title um mm -hmm. and so to avoid spoiling it for people what what I can say is our villain Simon has is obsessed with his reflection. That is one of his character traits. Mm. Hence the title Nomis. Um, mm. When you know when Saban bought the movie and um, you know effectively what they'd said was, look, we've done some research and purely for economic reasons, they were sort of saying because of their business model and how they market movies and how the independent space is at the moment and where people purely economically make their money in this space, they said, look, we will do infinitely better if we change the title to Night Hunter, which is what we like. And A, you know, put it this way. I, I, I'm very grateful to the finances of the film for backing, you know, backing the movie. Um, and A, I'm, I'm not allowed to say no to Saban and B, half of me, you know, obviously I, I have to wear two hats. One of them is my sort of director, director creative hat. And I sure. love the title Nomis. And if we were out in 
you know, if 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 the platform release had been different, you know, I I would be able to fight to keep the title. However, because of um, Saban's interests and also candidly, you know, the interests of the finances, the film, I don't, I I. I made my opinion, but I didn't want to fight too hard because at the end of the day, it, you know, we're making the content's what's most important. Exactly, and I, yeah. I want to make sure I don't want my creative ego to get in the way of people who have supported us making this in the first place. And so, you know, I, I wholeheartedly support the title, and you know, want us to do well uh, for everybody involved. Right. Right. I appreciate you telling us all about that right off the gate. Uh, maybe we can get to know each other first. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We'll just we'll cover all the contentious stuff first. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, on that oh. note, why don't you tell us, uh, are you a fan of pineapple on pizza? Because that's something that everybody wants to know. <clears throat> I, I just don't, I don't support fruit on pizza. <laughs> oh, we well, go. there Great. you have it. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, oh, go sorry, Mike. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, you 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 just made a bunch of enemies now, <laughs> yeah. friends, and you've friends, been formally cause... canceled. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, maybe we can ask uh, David, where where are you from? I I'm here in an English accent, so I can make assumptions, but I don't like to do that. No, no, you're you're <laughs> right. So I was born um, in a place called Hertfordshire in England, which is sort of north of London. Um, I actually uh, grew up in a place called Botany Bay, which is where I also used to play cricket. But it's sort of it's in between a place called Enfield and Potter's Bar. Um, so just sort of north, north London, um, which is where most of my family still live. And I moved to L.A. probably eight, nine years ago now. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I managed to get home, but never enough. You know, living in L.A., you tend to miss home and then you go home for a week and you're like, hmm. <laughs> I don't miss the underground, all the crap weather. I miss the food and the people, and then you get back yourself back to LA and and get your head down and do some work. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so Manu, uh, would Chris know where that's at? Ma- uh, Lupe? Uh, they might. I have. No Are idea. they hop, skip, and a jump? I have no idea. Yeah, we have some friends uh, on the podcast actually that are that are in your general vicinity. <laughs> uh, okay. Actually, they they live in Manchester. Oh, okay, very good. Um, I said general. <laughs> right. I've, uh, I used to play a lot of sport, and Manchester is renowned for its curries. Very good um, Indian restaurants in Manchester. Yeah, that's that's what Chris always tells us. Yeah. Uh, are, are you are you an EPL fan by any chance? I am. Yeah, I I uh, I well, actually, candidly, when you guys reached out, I started listening to mo- a lot more of of your stuff, and I was like, oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that may, that means the world do us, Dan. <laughs> that, that 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 is, that's that's very kind of you. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, when did you become interested in filmmaking? So, I mean, I, I'm, I, I can't really remember. I, you know, I don't know about you guys. I always remember seeing the first film I ever saw in the cinema. You know, I have three brothers, and we, my childhood was, you know, I. I was blessed to have a happy childhood firstly thanks to my parents um but also my childhood was sport and movies and that's literally all i did it's amazing i managed to get through school and then university but <laughs> you know we would 
you know, you you come home from school, go and play football in the garden, and then watch movies until mum yells at you to go to bed, and then find a way of watching a movie in bed as well. So, <laughs> my brothers and I were always these sort of huge film geeks. Um, but I remember, I think the first film I remember going to see in the cinema was Batman. You remember Tim Burton's Batman? Oh yeah, eighteen eighty nine. Oh yeah. There was a twelve. It was, I think, it was the first twelve rating. Um, which was sort of the censorship thing. And I remember my brother, my older brother, snuck me into the cinema and I was just, you know, you sort of sit there like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then a few months later, I think he snuck me into Terminator 2 and I was like, you know. Yeah, you have a great brother. I do. You know what? He, he, um, he, he you know, we, we sort of, we're now both directors, but we went about it very different ways. So he... You know, he went to Pinewood at sort of 16, left school and sort of doing, you know, he was a runner for years. And he was always the sort of the the more outward film geek running around the house with a camcorder. And, you know, I I was, I, I played a lot more sport, but, you know, I always wanted to, this sounds silly, I always wanted to be him because we both loved movies, but he embraced it. And I was too busy running around, kicking a football around. But, <laughs> but beneath the surface, you know, we, we, we always loved movies. You know, we would literally stick, you know, Goonies and E.T. and Star Wars on repeat where the VHS tapes would just be in tatters and we'd scream and yell until my dad went and bought a new one. So, um, but he, uh, yeah, he, he sort of led the way. And then I, I went to university and studied politics of all things. And, you know, around that sort of time, in, in, it's, it's a bit weird, really. The reason why I came to L.A. In England, you never really think, you know, back then anyway, there's you never think a career in movies is possible. You know, you never even because in the schools that most of us go to, you, you know, there's drama. But if you're, you know, back then. I, I loved doing drama, but you never had time to do drama and sport. And so I was I was always playing sport. Um, and you never, it's not really a profession you think is possible. You just think there's this, you know, you think Hollywood is this land where aliens are and, you know, there's no way of, <laughs> of, of getting there, getting into it or anything. And so you, it sounds silly, but you sort of follow the path already laid out in front of you, which is you're just sort of following the crowd, which is why, you know, I went to school and did GCSEs and A-levels and then you go to uni because everyone else does. And um, the uni I went to, you know, you were sort of, the whole crowd always ended up in, you know, law, banking, accountancy, management, you know, anything that the sort of the university told you, well, this is now your next step. You need to go and get, you know, this level degree to go and make that next step. So I sort of followed the crowd for years and years and ended up doing a banking job and just for about 12 months and literally hated it. And you sort of, you, you, you I reached a point in my life where I, I could tell I'd be good enough to make money at it, but I would be utterly miserable in 10 years. And I didn't want to be the sort of guy who was like, oh, if I just, do this for 10 years then I'll go and do what I want to do you know I stubbornly was like well I don't I don't I I I think it was you know maybe I get it from my dad but I was so annoyed that I wasn't doing what I loved which was doing something in film 
instead of doing any work uh, in this banking job, I literally wrote a script in Microsoft Word. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine the day I discovered what Final Draft was. Yes, I felt yeah. Like throwing mm. a computer against a wall. I, because... I, I totally understand that. Final Draft is a uh, is a discovery of like we owe so much to Final Draft. Yeah, well, you know, because I didn't know what Final Draft was. You know, I, I spent most of my time, you know, in the city hiding hiding my computer from people who couldn't <laughs> I was writing a script. And in Microsoft, you know, you'd Google stuff back then and you'd see how a script was meant to be laid out. And I just thought people just hit spacebar to make it look that way. <laughs> my God, it was, uh, it was infuriating. But anyway, so I, I you know, I... I think it was around the time Lord of the Rings. I, I remember watching the Return of the King trailer on repeat, mm. and by you know by then I'd sort of watched on you know time and time again. I think the makings of of the Lord because I love those books and I and I thought the films were just a complete masterpiece. Um, and I remember watching the making of of Two Towers literally every weekend and not going out and just sort of almost sort of soaking it up and learning. And I was so jealous that people got to do that for a job that I just said, you know, fuck it, that's what I want to do with my life. And how do I get into it? Um, and so I thought, well, the one great thing about writing is, you know, for the most part, it doesn't really matter what your CV is or what you've done because it's words on a page. You know, you could you could be a no one, but if you write a great script, it's a great script and eventually, you know, I'm slightly more cynical now, but it's still true, which is, you know, know. yeah, I mean, look, for, and, and I say this for anyone wanting to get into film, if you want to write your way in, there's literally nothing stopping you writing a script and in three months or however long it takes you to write it, it could get in the hands of someone that you then have a career doing it. And that's sort of the, that's how I viewed it, which was, you know, just just go for it. And I remember, I'll never forget one of the best days of my life was um, was uh, posting. I wrote a script called Heroes and Villains, which was sort of it was back in the Richard Curtis days when you know four weddings and a funeral and all those sorts of movies were out. And you know they were the. I mean, they still stand up today, but back then it was like you know I thought, oh, well, I can have a crack at writing a British romantic comedy. Um, <laughs> I wrote Mine that, has a few things to say about that. Yeah, my, <laughs> my life was was actually it sounds so silly, but posting it, you know, back then there wasn't, or maybe there was even, I don't know. But I, I I print, I would wait till everyone left the job at the bank, print off, you know, fifty scripts, which you know saved me a load of money because it was really expensive, um, and then I would post them on the weekend. You know, and, I, and I, it was the most liberating sort of best feeling ever when you're when you've sent a script to someone, you know, um, and I think I just sort of found addresses of British production companies and and sent them this script. And uh, and it just it felt great. It felt like I'd taken my first sort of giant first step. I mean, I was pretty naive back then, but, <laughs> um, you know. Just going for it sort of made the world of difference. And, and uh, it was only a couple of them that said, oh, this is all right. What do you want for it? Um, and I, I, I asked for a job. I was like, well, you can have the script for free, but can I come and work for you? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 
back then everyone was like well no but we'll give you five grand for your script and i was like well that's that doesn't really mean i'm going to learn anything um and in the end you know a few years later uh, i you know i managed through my brother to meet a few people and scrounged around and um you know i ended up making it and i was in it i i you know i was pretty terrible but um james corden was in it, it, it the film is uh is pretty unwatchable but the the premise and the script was all right but I, on that the other I, man uh, the short film you did no no i'm talking about heroes and villains um oh, okay so uh the my microsoft word script actually ended up getting made um but uh it's it's terrible so if anyone looks it up please don't but uh, <laughs> it was it was how i i realized that I, you know, I wanted to be a director because, you know, when you write something and then you hand it over to somebody, you 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 lose all sorts of control. And then what's in your head then doesn't translate. It's incredibly frustrating creatively for yourself. And that sort of thought when I realized, you know what, I, I think my my destiny is being a writer director. I just had no idea it would take me this long to get to a place where I'm actually, you know, managing to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, you, and you're doing great. <laughs> um, um, so far, so far. <laughs> Many lessons learned for the next one. But that <laughs> as there always is, as there always is. Yeah. So you're, you, you've said a few things that really interested me. So you said, you know, that, uh, you know, early movie days for you was Burton, uh, Cameron, later on Lord of the Rings. You said that in England, there wasn't like a lot of encouragement. I guess the flow of things wasn't to get into movies. How do you feel... How do you feel like the overall like uh, encouragement and um, the the push for filmmaking and, and movie um, and movies and whatnot is in England compared to how it is over here, you know, in, in the U.S.? Um, I think to be honest, I ne- you know I never went to film school or anything like that, or or acting, you know, I I never learned the art of filmmaking or acting or anything like that. So I don't, if I'm being really honest, I don't actually know what the difference would be between doing that in the UK or in the States. What I will say is it's more that it never, it was never even an option that got discussed back then. And maybe because, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't the internet and things like that. So probably things have changed now where a 14, 15 year old who's sort of thinking about what they want to do for the rest of their life can research, you know, okay, well, how do I be a writer or how do I be a director? You know, mm-hmm. back, back then it was just, it was formula, you know, you go to school and then if you don't drop out of school, you go and do your A-levels. And if you don't fail your A-levels, you go to university and then you get a job. At no point in that whole, you know, phase did did doing anything creative ever really come up. I mean, even for like the drama kids in school, you know, when I was injured in sport, I'd then go and do drama and I realised I, I loved it. It was an itch I never could get rid of, thankfully. Um, but you never had time to do both. So, but but the idea of... Well, going and doing this professionally, it never really came up until mm. I was so annoyed at myself for not pursuing it. I sort of forced myself to, you know, and even my older brother, he 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 went for it much earlier than I did. And I guess because he'd gone for it, 
and I'd sort of done the stubborn, well, no, it's never going to happen. And I, I would just go and do what my friends do. I guess him going for it earlier gave me the, you know, probably gave me the confidence to say, okay, well, you know, maybe it's not a closed industry. You just have to figure out how you juggle your way into it and then, you know, and then figure out where you fit into, you know, making films or television. Um, so where, where would you feel like your sensibilities came from, you know, with filmmaking? Where do you, where do you feel like it came from? Here's the thing, like everyone, you know, I I hope the days of well, you've you've written a thriller, so now you're a thriller guy. You can't write anything else. I I think those days are gone, gratefully, because you know I I've I've written a bunch of stuff over the years, some of which has almost got made, some of which now that I've made my first film, it's you know things change a little bit because I think people look at you as a real filmmaker rather than you know an almost filmmaker and as a writer director you know you you i write what i love right mm -hmm. and so i grew up in that amazing era of spielberg like many of us spielberg donna george lucas that's mm -hmm. like the holy grail so star wars and et and the goonies and you know richard donna's superman that for me is the holy grail of filmmaking and then as i've got older i love you know, the sort of the Christopher Nolan, you know, Sam Mendes, Ang Lee, David Fincher world mm. of sophisticated original storytelling. Um, so I, I, you know, having said that, I love Transformers 1. I thought that as a, as, a, an, as a kid's movie is one of the best ones ever made. And I still think it stands up. You know, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. Yeah. It's great. And, yeah. Mad respect. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And so that for me is sort of that's th those are the types of stories that I want to tell. And, you know, they they're very much representative in the scripts that I've written. Um, you know, no miss came about, you know, candidly, I think the I tried to make a I'll give you an example, another example. I wrote a script called Absence of War, which was a and still is a spy thriller set in the private sector of intelligence. So the whole idea is what if James Bond leaves MI6 and goes and works in the private sector? And, you know, from a real world basis, that's pretty much what a lot of, you know, uh, agents and, and, you know, clandestine, you know, spies, whatnot, that's exactly what they've gone and done. Um, and there's a reason for it, which is, you know, oversight congressional oversight blah, blah blah i could talk about it all day but i wrote this script and it was well enough received and we almost made it and then you know um the whole independent film market had just begun to change and and everyone was everyone was sort of saying the same thing which is this is way too expensive to be your first film you need to come up with something that's contained that is a more of a genre piece that the sales agents, which is sort of the the integral cog of independent film and financing, can can get behind. And really, that's where Nomis came from. It wasn't, you know, I woke up 30 years ago and said, oh, my God, I've got this great idea for a movie. It was it was done out of, um, you know, I, I realized I had a story I wanted to tell, but it, it also is part of, you know, necessity 
it's necessity and it's also wanting to you know realizing that we're not all spielberg and your first film can't be some mega you know and i know obviously he started in commercials and tv but um it was look i need i need to prove that i can direct and tell a story and, and get performances and 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 so you know absence of war sort of went away i still have it and i've actually just um uh set it up with someone i'm, I'm very excited about but it, it you know there's a there's a natural order to things not everyone can go and you know make you know ragnarok as their second movie which was <laughs> you know what i mean like there's a you know, there's a process here of of from a size of movies you know most of the stuff i tend to gravitate to has you know enormous spectacle but very much those sort of intimate character stories at their heart like a lot of you know the donna spielberg sort of era that's the stuff i i gravitate towards but there's a you know there's stepping stones to getting to tell those types of stories so uh i might be waffling but anyway so i <laughs> yeah write what i watch i know that sounds really silly but you know so i've got original sort of family-driven entertainment that, you know, hopefully is my next feature, fingers crossed. And then sort of more of the sophisticated, you know, um, political type of, you know, drama, thrillers that I also want to do. You know, I, I never want to get boxed in. Actually, I'll give you a really good example. Craig Mazin. Have you guys seen Chernobyl? Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Um, I need to. <laughs> I don't know whether there's sense. Am I allowed to swear on this or do we delete Yes, it? you're fine. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, 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 please go ahead. Fucking amazing. It really, really is. It's really, it's genuinely amazing. It is so well written. Yeah, it as is. directed and performed and the score. It, the whole thing for me was like just music. Yeah, and, it's but you look at, yeah, and I, 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 I'd never heard of, you know, I, I, sorry he ever stumbles across it. I'd never heard of him. I, I didn't know who Craig Mazin was, but I immediately looked him up and was like, holy shit, who's this? <laughs> yeah, I think he, he used to... He and you see, like, he'd written a bunch of comedies. And I, yeah. think that's, I think that's where, you know, hopefully with people like him breaking barriers of, well, you're this guy, that means you should only do this. I think those, hopefully those days are gone because I've got a lot more stuff other than... Yeah, I mean, I, th yeah. I think we're also Brilliant. seeing it with uh, we're also seeing that with uh, Todd Phillips, who who made yeah. his name with those Hangover movies and a lot of his comedies from the now late nineties, yeah. and now he's well, that's doing. It. You look at yeah, you look at the Hangover, and now the Joker looks amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally different genre, but again, I think it just comes to if someone's got a take and a vision, you know, and people get behind them, then great. So you know, yeah. hopefully. Well, uh, you, see, we, we, uh, you mentioned uh, Stepping Stones earlier. Uh, your previous work before Nighthunter was a short film called The Other Man. Yes. So, so, how, uh, can you, so how is it to go from working on a short film to working on something like uh, Nighthunter, which is true, is, um, as you said, it is an indie film, but you have some top-tier Hollywood talent on this cast. You have uh, Henry Cavill. Uh, Alexandra Daddario, uh, Ben Kingsley, uh, Stanley Tucci. Tucci. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, Nathan Fillion, and and even uh, your lesser known cast of characters seem to be seem to be promising. Uh, how how was the experience going from the other man to working on something with 
uh, with such um, heavy hitters, I think is the right way of describing it. Um, I mean, it, weirdly, it was kind of similar, mainly because you never have enough time or enough money to shoot. <laughs> to shoot. <laughs> um, but, but, look, it was, you know, um, for all of the enormous cast, and I got, you know, I got very, very lucky, and I feel very blessed to... Yeah, you uh, did. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I feel very lucky and very blessed to work with such amazing people who are also, you know... And, and and everyone sort of noted on set they were they were all so nice and so collaborative and so generous that you know it it, it was a wonderful experience with my actors you know it it really was having said that the the constraints around being able to shoot what you wanted to shoot was extremely frustrating because you know, it's everyone sort of says, well, when you're in the freezing cold, things move a lot slower. Well, they really, really do. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, that that was sort of, you know, one of the it was a very, very difficult shoot. And, you know, there's there's probably 20 percent of my script I never got to film. And that's very frustrating because I think that's the stuff that the. Look, I, I'm I'm incredibly proud of No Miss slash Night Hunter, <clears throat> um, and I think the strongest thing in there are the performances of the of the actors because I think they they went above and beyond and really gave their heart and soul, and it was a phenomenal experience for me collaborating with a number of those actors and also finding some real some real um, I think stars in the future in that you know blending sort of the you know the legendary legendary people of you know Sir Ben and Stanley with you know your your more sort of famous names of Henry and Alex and then you know even Nathan Fillion I think is just the nicest human being there are but also incredibly talented and then finding Brendan Fletcher and Eliana in particular it was just a really good job too his performance he's he's just he I can't say enough great things about that man um but it was it was it was it was a similar experience to the short because there was never enough time, never enough money, but you you get you know you just get on with it and make do as as best you can and you know there were many lessons learned and I think the only thing that if I if I'm honest I think the thing that where the film is let down is the glue isn't really there because we just didn't didn't have the time and the resources to be able to to uh to get what i needed but for the most part i think you know i just kept telling myself when things got hard or when i couldn't shoot what i needed to that just keep keep chasing the emotion of the scenes and rely on these great actors to just let them act um and that will make up for the lack of being able to tell the story with the scale uh and when i say glue what i mean are things like you know um the the things that give a a, a film uh, the, it's proper canvas geo, geographically, like, oh, um, like the connective tissue. You mean exactly, exactly. Mm. And so that's that I think is is um, what was lacking um, as an entire piece, as it were. But I'm I'm you know they were a phenomenal group, and I and I hope I get to work with them again because every single one of them went above and beyond and and is also very very nice people which is rare 
<laughs> well, uh, that helps, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, 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 I have to ask because uh, many of uh, many of our um, many of the other members of the podcast and a lot of our listeners are huge fans of Henry Cavill. Uh, can you tell us a little about working with him and uh, about? Yeah, he he. Um, do you know what he he's he was the best way of putting this. He's such a such an intelligent filmmaker, and I mean that not just an actor. He is very aware of an overall story and how his character fits into that overall story. And he is um, a very underrated actor, I think. I think, you know, everyone knows him as Superman and the guy in the cape. But when he's, when he's given a chance to just perform, that guy is amazing. There's so much on the cutting room floor that I just didn't, I didn't need to use because he gave me so many options. But... He is, um, he's really quite gifted, uh, but also very, very intelligent filmmaker behind, you know, just being an actor. It's, it's uh, he was um, a joy to work with, but also just, you know, he's a leader on set, you know, and you need mm-hmm. that your leading actor because it's, especially when, you know, you, you start working in the, you know, the early hours of the night and when he's prepared to get his hands dirty and stand in the freezing cold, it, he's a he's an example to the rest of the crew. And you know, um, you know, I, I'm I think he's phenomenal. He brought uh, a good energy, huh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, and you know what, you need that. And also, Sir Ben is another one. You know, yeah, these guys these guys have been around long enough where they lead by example, and it lifts everyone out. You know, it's it's inspiring. Um, yeah, especially since it sounds like you guys shot a lot of stuff in the cold, and mm-hmm. I'm guessing like you were up at like two, three o'clock in the morning, working late, well, that, and so on. And so yeah, forth, well, that so. that you know, and that's one of the lessons you sort of learn. But you know, I'll give I'll give an example. There's so many scenes in the movie that are daytime that we shot at night. The oh really? Oh, okay. And here, here's the reason why. So if you if you're meant to start filming at nine o'clock in the morning, and for whatever reason you don't start filming until eleven, mm-hmm. suddenly your day has pushed by two hours. And now let's say there's another delay during the day, so your wrap time pushes another couple of hours, and suddenly there is a huge knock-on effect because. You know, there are scenes that you then either can't film or you want to film, but you then go into overtime, which costs the finances more money. But really, the, 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 the knock-on effect is you're then affecting your start time the following day because you have to have legally a, a certain hour, you know, a, a break between your working days. When that happens consistently... All of a sudden, in you know a week from when you've started, you start your day at six p.m. and you've got a schedule of daytime scenes. Yeah, I, I, so, I see that. Yeah, and so, so suddenly, yeah. you know, and you don't have luxury with a small independently financed film of saying, "Well, let's switch the schedule around or switch the actors around," because you only block out, you know. You have your actors for a certain amount of days and then they're gone, you know, um, and that, you know, that's that's sort of the the one of the many lessons I've learned is is just from an organizational point of view, but making sure that, you know, there's no room for error, as in you use every single moment you have your cast for because it's utterly precious, because when you don't have them and you're playing catch up, it is it is very challenging, as, as I sort of said, to get the things that you're missing 
Uh, and that's the beauty of, you know, your larger budget or your even your studio movies. It's easy for them because they can go and do pickups with your cast, with, with us. You mm-hmm. know, the reason why we had, from a top level point of view, the reason why we had a delay for the best part of a year was because we'd, we'd, we'd moved all of the exterior walking, talking, driving stuff to the end of the shoot because, you know, in Winnipeg, you know, for the most part on night shoots, you're sort of negative 20, 30, uh, which is its own beast. <laughs> but, you, know, we, we, you know, we had some stuff, um, uh, I won't get into spoilers, but we had some stuff on a frozen river, you know, that is actually a frozen river. You know? Oh, really? And, and, or not really frozen, it was a more of a frozen lake, but yeah. it was a real one. And, yeah. you know, there's there are days when I'm running around out there during the day, literally jumping on bits of ice to make sure that, that it's solid it enough, safe as I was being told it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> By that point, you don't trust anything you've been told, <laughs> and you're like, if Henry Campbell goes through this fucking ice, my career is over. And I'm <laughs> so I literally, you know. You run around, and everyone's like, "Why is Dave jumping up and down on the ice?" And I'm like, "Well, someone's got to fucking test it." Um, <laughs> wow. So anyway, the uh, t- you know, toward the, the very very end of the shoot, you know, we planned to with driving stuff, and we had the hottest weekend in Winnipeg history. And I shit you not, uh, you know, we were shooting at night, and when we'd finished shooting, I saw green everywhere, and was like, "Hmm, it's <laughs> <laughs> not <Wow. Stop> <laughs> Oh, so, so what, so what we basically of, had yeah. to do was we, you know, the the decision was well, you either, you know, you either go and do the driving stuff in green, you know, Winnipeg country scenery where you can see the color of leaves and then you visual effects it, which would have been a disaster because, you know, from a finance point of view, we already had run out of whatever we had available to us, mm. or you come back and do it when the snow has returned which is what really, you know, we, I was sort of forced to do. Uh, and then that obviously then plays into, okay, you look at your cut of what you've got and what you're missing to be able to tell your story. Henry had then gone on to Mission Impossible. So, and also the Justice League pickups he was doing. So getting him back was literally impossible. Um, Alex was shooting, but the one I really needed back was Sir Ben because there's a crucial scene between him and Brendel Fletcher that we didn't have footage of because it was outside. Um, and so we had to wait for him to be available again, which is why there was such a long delay between pickups and principal photography. So hence, that's the reason why, you know, I shot Nomis 10 years ago and now it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> hey, better late than never, right? Yeah. No. So speaking of the cast, because um, we all, you know, we all love the cast. How exactly uh, can you tell us the process of like how this cast happened? Because I mean, you know, I don't imagine it's like super easy to get a cast like this, oh, unless well, it is, and then you can educate me on that. <laughs> yeah, so how it works is, and it's you know, it's in casting is what's the for all you uh, uh, filmmakers out there who who are trying to get your first film made. How how it actually works is you make an offer to an actor. And, you know, inevitably, um, you know, their agents will read it and cover the script. And then you'll you'll literally sit there twiddling your thumbs until you get a response. 
And how it works is you can't, you know, you can't go to more than one actor at a time. So if you make an, an actor an offer, you have to wait for them to read it and say yes or no, which, you know, if, if some actors for some roles say no or their agents say no or, you know, you get strung along for a few months, you're literally waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's happened to me on other movies. And then you find out that the the, the actor never even got the script. So it, in that, it's sort of indie spec. It's very frustrating. Fortunately, with No Miss, um, I actually wrote um, Sir Ben's role with him in mind. Um, and again, sort of spoilers and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, this is a, you know, I thought it would be fascinating to have, you know, a you know, a, a effectively a judge who, given loopholes in the legal process, um, which I think a lot, you know, this 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 sort of era of, you know, um, the Me Too stuff, you know, you look at like the statute of limitations law, which is ridiculous. You know, if, if victim only has so long to sort of say, this is what's happened to me, I, I don't, that to me just doesn't make any sense. So anyway, what, what I wanted to do was have a, a character that effectively was a, a judge and how that have affected him psychologically. If his day job was letting people out of jail who he knew for the most part were going to go and reoffend, yeah. and there are some incredible uh, statistics of you know sex offenders who, because of a whether it's a chemical imbalance, you know, most of them from the research I found reoffend. Now, if you're knowingly letting people out that you know fifty percent, eighty percent, whatever the stats are from different you know, um, journals are you're letting out people that you know are going to go and do some harm. Now, how does that affect you psychologically? So I really built a character around that. And well, what if something happened in your, in your life where you said, I've been punished for doing something I knew was wrong and now I'm going to go and do something about it. Mm. There was only really one guy I'd ever wanted to play that. Now, you know, in your first movie, you always write with someone in mind. You never think you're going to get them. And then when Sir Ben had read the script and said, I, I fancy doing this and then we've met and chatted. Um, it's it sort of, it, it. I knew, you know, first one in was always the most difficult. And because it was Sir Ben, I think it gave everyone surrounding the project that was interested in it some confidence. Because when someone like that says, I believe in, you know, David and, and this material, I think it sort of, it, it gives you an amazing rubber stamp because now, Anyone who thought, oh, this is really cool, but, you know, this guy hasn't made a movie before, so pass. It then suddenly changed. And that's when, you know, I'll never forget an agent saying, you know, have you thought about Henry for for the Marshall role? Mm-hmm. Now, in full, and Henry knows this, in full candor, I dismissed it because I was like, there's no way Henry Cavill is going to play this role. <laughs> okay. why, why did you say that? Well, you know, the guy's Superman. It's, you know, it, it's, you know... Uh, yeah i see i see (laughs) and also you look at his body of work up until then it's mostly studio movies and you think well there's no way henry's going to play a role like this now you know the more you the more you then think about it and i was an enormous fan of man of steel like an enormous fan i really really was and actually and this might be contentious i i 
I thought the execution of Batman v Superman was incredible. I, oh, you're, I talking to the, you're talking to the right yeah. guys, David. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking yeah, to the right guys. This, this is, is going to go I, in uh, a reel. Yeah, yeah this, you're talking to the right guys. We're, we're big fans of, of Man Huge of Steel, fan. Batman v Superman, and. Zack and, Snyder. I love yeah, that. Guy. We're, we're, we're well, right this with is, you. you know, not to distract, but Zack Snyder is one of the best directors out there. I just. <laughs> just felt, you know. <laughs> but he um, is. That's just. You look at. Forget. Here's the thing. You know, if if the I think if the stories that he was telling were more akin to what the market and what kids are looking for, because we grew up in the Donna era. Right. You know, and I think no matter how you spin it, but these superheroes are meant to be superheroes, people that you look up to and that kids want to be and kids want to dress up at you know, in Halloween. I think tonally that's where Marvel have got it absolutely spot on. But his execution of his idea was amazing. I just think that the story, you know, it wasn't the story I wanted to see, but his execution of those things are phenomenal. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that that's, that's com- I think that's completely fair that, you know, we can appreciate the merit of what's, you know, of how it's, how it's put together. Absolutely, you know, yeah. and, and Man of Steel for me is, is my favorite, you know, DC, uh, you know, probably discounting Mr. Nolan, but, uh, you know, I thought Man of Steel was probably still to this day my favorite DC movie that they'd made. Um, but anyway, I, I had a... No, hey, we appreciate um, that. I, I almost lost my chill. No, I no, no, you lost it. You lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my okay, chill. Well, you, you really want to get into it? Here, here's the thing. And, you know, knowing Henry as well as I do now, I, here's, I, I don't want to get too far into the whole soups of it all. He's still Superman until he's not, right? And I tell you the thing why I think he is the perfect Superman is you look back at what, made the Donna era so brilliant and the comics is a side of that character that we haven't seen Henry play and because I know him he is a very funny very warm very genuine but he has a wry sense of humor and the Clark Kent I loved which is a Clark Kent we've never met in any of the the is is the Clark Kent who's also a disguise right and he's the guy who can wink at the camera, not quite, but wink at the camera or melt a guy's chair if he's pissing him off because <laughs> he's Superman pretending to be Clark Kent. And that is the the balance, I think, that we've missed as an audience, which Christopher Reeve's character had, which is, yes, you've got Superman in a costume, but you've also got his other costume, which is Clark Kent. And that's where the... The balance I would love to see Henry play because he's a very funny, um, uh, he's a very funny, human, witty guy. And I think I mean, that is a side of that character. If he's given the opportunity to play, he will absolutely crush it. I think and you that saw that be- in, uh, in uh, The Man from Uncle, uh, in a lot of his scenes playing opposite. Um, uh, uh, Army, Army Hammer. Hammer. Mm, I yeah. think I think you really get to see a lot of uh, 
a lot of what you're talking about. Uh, I think one of my favorite scenes in that movie is uh, when Army Hammer is fighting off a bunch of guys and Henry is in the truck and he's just eating away this guy's lunch. I think yeah. that that scenes like that really display uh, what it is that you're with that you're exactly. Yeah. So look, I, I don't think the um, what's the best way of saying this because I, I think there are some phenomenal people over at DC and I would love to go and play in that sandpit. I think there's nothing wrong with the guy in the cape. I think you just have to give him a story that befits what he is capable of playing that character. Sure, yeah. I, you know, we appreciate we appreciate all takes. I mean, we have our own opinions. Maybe some of them, you know, align. Maybe some of them, you know, are adjacent or don't align as much. But at the end of the day, I mean, I we all appreciate just the the artistic merit that's that's underlying the film and then there's all sorts of things that go into the film I and mean, like you said that's part of the reason why the film may have been changed from no mist to night hunter because more it's more marketable you know so yeah that, and also you yeah. know there's a and i'm and i haven't made a studio film yet touch wood i will but you know there's there's a process it's never there are there are parts of no miss that are on screen that are better than I had in my head because of my actors. And I'm so proud and happy and and grateful for, for some of those scenes that I'd scripted and had in my head. And then when I got to collaborate with my actors, it's a thousand times better than I'd ever come up with. And I'm and I and there's a few scenes in the film that I'm so proud of, but so proud of from 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 my actors' point of view. And there are some stuff that, that for me is, is let down, but that's not, that's my fault. And that's more about the process of filmmaking and learning how films get made and, and why you've got to fight for, you know, fight for what you need, even though you're up against elements like weather and financing and all the rest of it, you know, and those are the major lessons that I take. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a scene between Brendan Fletcher and Alex Daddari. I tell you what, Alex is the other revelation for me. You know, I I cast her because I'd seen her comedic work, and you know, she's done a lot of sort of big popcorny movies. But there's something about her that I always thought, you know, what I bet you anything, she would nail a dramatic role where it's not about you know how she looks, um, and you just pair her right back to, you know the sort of the human spirit within as mm -hmm. cheesy as that sounds but that's why i cast alex i wanted to try and push the boundaries of like okay let's do things that people aren't expecting so that when you see them doing these things it's like holy shit mm -hmm. and you know there's a scene between alex and brendan that i just i lo i love them both and it was such a hard day filming but they both threw themselves at it and is you know i'm i'm so proud of them and there's also a scene with Henry and, you know, his daughter in the movie, which again is just, you know, you get these, you get these days on set when no one says anything and the whole crew is just utterly silent and you know everyone can feel what your actors are doing. And those days for me are the most rewarding because you're like, you know, in the back of your mind, you're looking forward to shooting those scenes. But when your actors step up and really give you something heartfelt that you sort of say, oh, wow, this is, this is, um, you, you, uh, pride is probably the best way of putting it. But there's, there's a couple of scenes in the movie for me that are just, you know, 
I'm I'm really happy to hear you say that. I'm actually just just like you. I've seen all of a, a lot of Alex's uh, work on those popcorn movies, and it was and I'm and I'm really glad that I get the chance to see her do something very different. And you know, from the sounds of it, from what you're saying, it sounds like she did a great job. And oh, uh, she's she great. Looks- she's she's another one who who you know when you when you look at what previously and, and obviously henry's gone on to to make fallout which is my god fucking amazing it um, was it was like fallout yeah. is is just unreal it's just unreal how how powerful and amazing that movie oh, is. And, it's and incredible. Look, chris mcquarrie for me is kind of any you know any podcast coming from him or behind the scenes that to me gets to be you know my film school is listening to people like him talking about the process and the mistakes that they've learned yeah from. And he's very, well, he's very candid. Tell, tell him to get on this podcast. Say, hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, hopefully, you know, the ante, I, elevate yeah, the game. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's yeah. very candid on social media, and I really love his openness and his honesty about the process. You know, he about how he doesn't that, always that, get uh, paid about they, his own about his own um, insecurities about his work. I think that that really makes it e- like it makes it more palatable for people. Agree. Um, and to it, understand you know, that it's not just oh, we're gonna do this. It's like. You 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 really go through it emotionally as well as as uh, as um, as everything else that goes around the a production. Yeah, you know, and you you know, for 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 people like myself that, that uh, didn't get to go to film school, that that is film school. You know, I spend most of my day, whether it's if I'm in the gym or or driving, I'm endlessly listening to behind the scenes, you know, podcast, documentary, anything I can to learn from the people I look up to. I just soak that, I soak that shit up. Um, but just going back to Alex, you know, she, she, you know, she and Henry weren't, you know, they weren't really known for doing this sort of dramatic stuff. Now, with both of them, you look at their work pre Nomis. I just thought there's, you know. That what's right for the character is both of them are able to do so much without dialogue, which I always think is the key to great, you know, truly great actors. You know, Henry's playing a character who candidly hates himself. He knows he's making bad decisions, but there's a very distinct reason why he's behaving the way that he's doing. And he comes up against somebody who for all of you know henry's sort of physical strength it doesn't mean shit this guy's just there to to um what's the pull on his nerves is probably the best way of putting it and he's phil you know he's playing a character who's full of regret and sort of almost shame in what he's doing because he knows what he's doing is wrong and that's related to to you know his his daughter in the movie so a lot of that you want to play through looks and through physicality and through the way that you walk and how you carry yourself. And, you know, there's so much subtlety in Henry's performance. But again, that sort of comes back to what a great actor he is, because, you know, when he's allowed to to do his thing, he's brilliant because you can just take a step back. And, you know, of course, as a director, you give notes and you collaborate together. But really, you trust your actors to to carry themselves in a way that serves their their characters. And Alex is exactly the same. You know, she was very, very well prepared and had done a ton of research about playing a police psychologist. Um, And she's she's another one. She you know, she's also playing a character who is what's the best way of putting it? 
her her role is she's playing a character who is great at giving advice to other people but can't take it herself and so she's out to prove something in you know her role in the movie is to effectively break into simon's mind and no one thinks that she's got the smarts to do it or the experience to do it and so there is the depth to her character which is all about proving herself but what i loved about the way that she played it and you know as we we'd sort of discussed before we started shooting she's not She's not playing a character who's out to prove something to all the boys in the police station. That's the opposite of what she's doing. She's there to prove something to herself. And I think that comes across in her performance, but it's not in any dialogue. It's just this sort of quiet determination um, and sort of guts, really. And, And, you know, spoiler warning again, but like that's why for anyone who's watched the movie, Henry doesn't throw a single punch. It's Alex that gets into a physical altercation with Simon. And that was a very deliberate move to not do the obvious. Um, hey, you would think Henry would be the one doing the, the punching. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so how are we doing on time? Uh, I can keep waffling. It's up to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, no, this is great. We're getting some great yeah, stuff. Yeah, this like, is fantastic. Um, Maybe uh, Manu, uh, did you want to? Because I, I wanted to talk about the technical aspects of yeah, this definitely. film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, actually, I'm sorry, Mike. Sorry, uh, sorry to cut you off, but you, you, uh, David, you mentioned earlier that there were some scenes that you were really proud of afterwards, and yeah. and I wanted to ask you, like, because you also wrote the movie. <laughs> You're so, like, what scenes are you not proud of? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but like, you know, so you wrote the movie, so you went from right from like seeing the scene in your head to yeah. to actually having the chance to see it play it out in front of you. How how was that experience for you? And and what are these scenes that you're so proud of seeing like you know after post um it's 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 incredibly liberating to sort of see your vision in your head sort of come to life especially when for the most part so you know within the realms of restrictions of you know what you can shoot and where and whatnot the the thing i'm proud of is the the performances were as i'd sort of had in my i had in my head what what sort of changed more just through the process of filmmaking, as I said, under extremely difficult conditions from a resources point of view is, you know, there's, there's physical elements that are different from, you know, uh, in the film to what was on the page. But that's more about what we were able to do given the, in the means that we had. Um, you know, the, the original script, and this is, I don't think anyone knows this yet, but the original script wasn't set in this sort of icy cold environment. It was actually set, you know, the uh, um, spoiler warning, stop listening if you're, <laughs> you haven't seen the movie. But it was bound to happen. The, the original ending of the movie was in a cornfield where our villain <clears throat> puts the girls that he's captured in a burning cornfield so that you can't find your way out very easily and that's the game is Mm. you know um the the game is how many can get out um we had to pivot because i'd started pre-production in louisiana several months before we ended up even going to winnipeg and the you know through some error there was a uh, my 
visa to direct the movie in America came into question whether I would get it in time because it was filed so late. And so I had to pivot also in the script from a burning cornfield in Louisiana which aesthetically would have put the film in sort of a hot, sweaty, you know, mm-hmm. sort of much more uh, middle America feel, which is what the original script was, to then, you know, the decision from the team and the financiers was, well, we can't risk not having, you know, the writer-director be able to direct his movie because then there <laughs> is no movie. Uh, and I was like, like hell, are you going to go and find someone else? Um, so, <laughs> so we pivoted to Canada um, and then obviously the change of seasons and whatnot. So I had to rewrite, you know, certain scenes and, and, and the finale of the movie so that we could shoot in freezing cold Winnipeg, um, which is, you know, from a physical production point of view, was really the only possibility because I think Vancouver we looked at was too expensive. Um and uh, and, I, and I'll be honest, I liked filming in Winnipeg. There's some lovely people there. Uh, and I'll give a shout out to Kenny, uh, Kenny Boyce, who is the film commissioner, who we actually, uh, I, I named him um, Kenny the Wolf, as in the wolf of <laughs> fiction, because whenever there was a problem, you call the wolf and he would fix it for you, <laughs> which became a regular occurrence. But he is, uh, to anyone wanting to go and shoot a film in Winnipeg, reach out to Kenny because he is, he's saved my uh, ass numerous times and is, you know, he's a very generous, lovely man. Um, what was your question? I, I've just been <laughs> about great scenes that I really liked. Uh, I think the scenes, if I'm honest, I think the scenes between Sir Ben and Eliana Jones, who's a newcomer who just blew me away with her audition, which I actually found for you young actors out there who are thinking of quitting. Please don't, because Eliana was close to quitting as well. And I ended up, you know, we... I'd, I'd found a couple of options that I really liked for the Lara character, and then we'd lost the actresses to availability. Um, so there was a real hunt on to find my Lara. Um, and I ended up finding her, I think I'll, I'll never forget this. This may be getting a bit too intimate. But when you spend all day scouting locations in the freezing cold, and then you get home you know, at 5 a.m., knowing that your alarm's going off in three hours, you tend to lose a bit of a physical hygiene. You stop going to the gym and you just eat whatever is around, you know, baked beans out of a tin. And the amount of times I'm like, wow, this is the glamour of Hollywood people don't tell you about. Anyway, so, so I'll never forget, um, you know, going through the rejected pile of audition tapes for the Lara character eating baked beans out of a tin, wearing, uh, you know, my underlayers of winter gear, which I hadn't taken off yet. And I stumbled across this audition from Eliana, who I who is just so gifted um, and such a natural actress. You know, and, you know, I think that morning I'd sort of said to the casting director, I want to Skype with her, let's have a chat. And, you know, by that night, you know, I'd cast her in the movie once I'd had a chat to her and, and, you know, seen what she was about. And so for any of you lot who are who are struggling or thinking of quitting, it really can change, you know, in a moment's notice. You just have to keep going and, and 
not you know not give up in what you believe in because she you know I, I think she's got an enormous career ahead of her and I know Sir Ben as soon as he you know did a couple of scenes with her he just sort of looked at me and nodded as if to say you know yeah that's she's she's great that's awesome that's awesome yeah. thank you so much for that yeah that's awesome uh, so I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for her then. When yeah, she, she's lovely, but just she's got a real, she's got a, uh, she's got one of those sort of, what's the best way of putting it? She's got she's got one of the personality, you know, she you know forget her looks and whatnot, but she's just got a personality. Since you put a camera in front of her, it, it you know the screen sort of comes to life. Um, and it's all natural instinct. I don't think she was trained or anything like that, but she's uh, she's got a real presence to her. Awesome. So can we talk about uh, tech specs now? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <By all>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you can uh, you can kind of nerd out a little bit. You can kind of gush about some of the equipment that you used. Uh, you mean the equipment that worked on the day? <laughs> um, so uh, you know, I, I, I had a director of photography called Michael Barrett, who's, who's done a bunch of stuff. And so we were using the red cameras, I believe. Um, it's probably more interesting. So to tell you about the stuff that I shouldn't have used that I used. So when <laughs> you have no budget and you have scenes that you need multiple cameras on, but you have half an hour to go and shoot ordinarily what most films would shoot in a week, you have to sort of think out the box. Now, you know, I'm sorry, Kenny, for admitting this, Mr. Film Commissioner in Winnipeg. I shot some of this stuff uh, on the fly using other cameras because I knew I needed places to cut to. So, for example, just to give you, uh, well, l let me give you one example. There is a, a car accident where a car flips in the in the movie. The car that we tried to flip had frozen so the battery didn't work then we tried to do it a second time and it happened again and then the rig that we had to flip the car didn't work and so you're sort of constantly up against things like that and it's happening in a very very crucial part of the film which is in the run-up to a huge narrative reveal about uh our bad guy so anyway in order to go and get the shots I needed to sell the fact that the car had flipped and there was actually a crash. I then, with a couple of people who I want their careers to continue in Winnipeg, <laughs> I won't mention their names, we went and bought, uh, you know, two or three Sony 7Ss, those little tiny cameras. And at one point, I literally, you know, in Winnipeg, you have these huge piles of snow because they obviously plow the roads. And then, you, you know, everywhere there are these like six foot, you know, piles of snow just sort of sitting there. Now, some of them have concrete under them. Some of them don't. So in my rental car, I'm there hanging out the driver's side window with my Sony 7S hanging out so I can get, you know, film a tire hitting a spray of snow, hoping that it's going to hit the camera. And after about, you know, six or seven attempts, you just sort of say, well, fuck it, we're running out of light. I need to really go for it. And by then, the Walmart kid comes out saying, you're not allowed to film here. <laughs> it's funny, about 100 Canadian dollars later, he went back inside with a smile on his face. So, <laughs> so, then, so then I'm like, everyone gets You, get you back. had to that bribe 
a Best Buy employee to get this movie made. A Walmart employee. A Walmart, I'm sorry. Hey, Walmart in Canada. I think it was Walmart. It was something like that. Anyway, so <laughs> at that point, I'm like, fuck it. I'm, I, you know, I know I need at least two of these angles to be able to cut together so that this car crash looks real because, it, you know, a car mounts a curb and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I'm literally hanging out of my enterprise rental vehicle whilst driving it flooring it into a massive pile of snow whilst holding a sony 7s camera with my left hand dangling out the car trying wow. to film the tire and the snow and hoping that i get the spray i need which actually ends up working but that's you know movie magic we have i have the sort of cast you'd see in a 200 million dollar studio movie and yet the writer director is hanging out the back of a car driving into a pile of snow trying to get the footage he needs (laughs) something doesn't connect here that's if anybody was there to see that oh man clearly it didn't happen i made it'll it'll be on the dvd right we'll see we'll see you hang out the car Exactly. And we'll see the Walmart kid. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you know, cut a long story short. From a technological point of view, Sony 7S cameras, if you've run out of money or budget, they are phenomenal at giving you camera angles that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get when, you, when you're not technically filming on a day off. <laughs> Uh, is there like for 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 um, uh, by the time we I think that by the time we drop this interview, the movie won't be released. Uh, everywhere yet uh is there anything in particular that you want people to like focus on during their first watch is there anything that that you hope that the audience uh is drawn to in particular i think just you know i think just enjoy the ride you know i i you know i it's what's the best way of putting i you know it's 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 not it's not on the face of it it's not the movie you think it is i think that's the biggest thing I sort of take away and anyone who's seen the movie so far, and I've had so many, you know, truly lovely messages from people online who have seen the movie because we're out in a couple of countries so far. And I know they've tried this sort of new tactic where it's on direct TV, you know, for the next couple of weeks. And then we're out in cinemas on the 6th um, and, you know, the SVOD platforms in, in quite a few countries around the world. And I think, I think we're in most countries around the world around September. So I think it's just just watch it. Hopefully, you know you enjoy it. And for me, that there's you know the important thing is just the heart and the emotion of it. So you so you sort of get lost in our characters. Who you know when things got challenging, that's sort of what I clung to, which is just keep just follow the emotion of it. And anything that you know doesn't make sense or or there's some information that's missing from the narrative, just make sure I get the emotional, you know, arc of the characters and the story. So that if you care about it, by the time you get to the end, there, even if there's stuff that you need to kind of see a second time, it doesn't matter because you've sort of been on that journey with those characters. And I, I think that's been achieved, hopefully. Um, and a lot of that comes down to my, my actors and their performances, which, as I said, I, I, uh, I'm just very grateful for their for their work and 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 I think you know not only Henry um, gives a performance that I've never seen him give and there's a couple of scenes in the movie in particular where the whole set was just entirely silent watching him in a in a very intimate scene with his daughter which is just you know I've seen it a thousand times and you know it's hard not to well up with it um, 
but then also you know so ben is is so ben you know he nails things every single time and it's you know it's uh it it felt a little strange even direct attempting to direct him in, on my first day which which is probably the only day i ever you know sort of lost my nerve for 10 seconds and thought if you don't speak this is not <laughs> going <go> well <laughs> um, but also, you know, Brend, you know, I, th- I, I, I think what Brendan and Alex have done in their scenes together is, and Brendan in particular, given the, the type of role that he's playing, because it's, you know, for the most part, and again, stop listening if you haven't seen the movie, but for the most part, Brendan's playing a character who you can't, there is a language he uses and a behavioural pattern that makes sense once you know why. Mm. Uh, and he's on the trailer he looks pretty he looks pretty unhinged you know he is but we we, you know we sort of talked about it and we rehearsed and and you know i can i can you know maybe we'll do another one of these in a month and i can talk about the process he and i went through to play the various parts of simon that people get to see but he he gave his all and is such a natural talent that even the stuff I, I didn't use is just mind-blowing. You could have had an hour of watching that guy play Simon, but what I learned in the edit is, you know, less is more and we don't want to give too much away. And But Alex's role playing opposite that, you know, so much of Brendan's work, and deliberately so, you know, you take the intent of a scene in terms of dialogue and I, I would encourage him to remove and just you know improv whatever he wanted knowing that knowing where we needed to get to at the end of the scene so there's a natural element there of his character who is fucking with alex alex's character and it's very hard to play against somebody who is for the most part a deliberately trying to annoy you (laughs) (laughs) but then also you know you know, doing things that 10 times out of 10 are entirely different and you never know what he's going to do. And I think how she handled her performance, which I think was probably the most difficult in the film because you're playing opposite someone who takes the script and doesn't do anything in it. (laughs) And yet still this ominous opponent you know, that you're playing chess with from a psychological level, she had to be constantly bouncing off of him. And I think the way that she, she's done it is, is you know, formidable. Um, but he in particular, given the roles that he's playing, um, he's, he's a very special, gifted um, young man who, who uh, I... Uh, I can't speak highly enough of. That's awesome. Great. That's awesome. So um, earlier we talked a little bit about Absence of War. You have another upcoming film, according to your IMDb page, called Sins. Uh, anything- so I wouldn't believe what you read on IMDb. So, cause oh, don't tell well, us that. <laughs> no, no, well, to be honest, they're both written. Um, but it, But a lot of, you know, what I've learned in this game is uh, and I think actually I've, I'm going to steal this from Chris McQuarrie and his <laughs> podcast and his Twitter. You go through the doors that open for you 
I'm so used to banging doors down that I'm I'm going to try and learn a little bit of both, which is I'll keep banging doors down I want to open, but I'll also, you know, in an effort to tell more of the stories that I've written, I'll make the ones that the market lets me. And so um, I, I've just set up Absence of War with someone amazing. Uh, but again, you can't, Here's the thing, you, you, IMDB only goes off sort of announcements type stuff. So there's stuff I'm working on I, I can't talk, talk about who it's with. But mm. if, if it becomes real and then it gets announced, I'm, I'm very, very excited about. So the stuff I'm focusing on at the moment is a, is a United Nations series. Do you remember Band of Brothers? It's a bit yes, like that, HBO, but about yeah. the UN and their true stories of staff in the field. And I'm I've partnered with someone who's a genuine dream come true, incredible filmmaker who's, you know, I'm I'm loving every moment that we work on this amazing project together. And actually, I'm in eight hours getting on a flight to East Timor, <laughs> um, which is on the other side of the planet with the United Nations, um, because it's the 20 year anniversary of the um, independence of East Timor. So what we're doing is is. I'm working on that, which is a series, which is sort of an anthology mini-series. So each season is a different crisis um, uh, uh, dramatised over a narrative season. So the idea is that, you know, I do East Timor and then you go to another UN advocate who tells an amazing story in Congo and then one in Darfur. And oh, so I'm working that's, on that. That's um, amazing. Yeah, it's 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 taken me nine years of, of research and working with the UN on it, but it's, it's, it's of all the things I've got, I, I'm, it's the one sort of project that might actually do some good in the world, but also it's, you know, it, it's, uh, the stories are true and they are just incredible. So, so I'm working on that. And then I'm, I'm, I'm far along ish with a, 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 an original kids movie. That's a bit like ET and Goonies and the stuff that we all grew up on. Hmm. So I'm, keeping my fingers crossed that that's the next feature i get to direct but who knows i i really appreciate what you said about the un uh my father uh my father actually worked there for a few oh, years nice. yeah um yeah as a kid i got to i got to go to the un on on saturdays when it was like almost empty i got to run around oh, so I, yeah yeah so so just hearing <laughs> what you talk you do that um, uh, my uh, my dad was um, yeah, he worked uh, for the mission of Senegal, where I'm originally from. Oh, amazing! Uh, and he worked uh, he worked very closely with the UN. He he was there almost every day. And so hearing you say that, and like just giving a chance to to get these people uh, highlighted the way that I think they deserve. Well, that's it. And, and I, they, I they think do the, so much great work around the world, and I think like really so much do. of it goes, goes unnoticed that yeah, I just I just a big I, misconception about who these people are everyone thinks the UN has its own army it does not none of them are you know Captain America charging into rescue <laughs> yeah so so hearing you talk about this project that that, yeah. that means that means a lot to me yeah 99% of UN staff are just ordinary people who yeah. for whatever reason in their personal lives just decide to go and help someone that needs help, you know, and, and importantly, regardless of their nationality or gender or sexuality or, you know, nationality, if someone needs help, you go help. You don't ask why or you don't say, well, where are they from? And then I'll decide. You just go do it. And I think that especially given what's going on in the world at the moment, it's um, I'm, I'm hoping for some, you know, lady luck comes and visits us and, and we get this this project away because it's incredibly meaningful given the 
the state of the world at the moment. Well, I'll mm. definitely support it. Uh, well, that, that's yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah cool. thanks for telling us about that. No, um, so I guess we can kind of start wrapping up a little bit here, but I uh, you know we talked about a lot of different things regarding you know how the film is made and and you know what goes into it and what got you inspired to to do more. And there's going to be a lot of uh, filmmakers who will probably be listening to this pod. So if there's like maybe a takeaway that you could tell them about or some advice you could give them. Oh God, quit, go and find another job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, you know, having, having, well, I mean, there's a few things. One of them is, you know, I think listening to your own instinct is absolutely key because here's the thing, you know, as a writer, director, there's always going to be people that don't like your work or say no, you know, rejection is part of everyday existence. You literally have to just take those, try and find things that are useful in any critiques and then move on and believe in yourself and believe in your own voice. Because when you stop believing in your own voice and you question it is when it all goes to shit. And, you know, there are, there are, you know, over the years of trying to get my first film made, there's been a number of instances where you sort of doubt yourself, but at the end of the day, you just have to, I think the key and the key I've sort of trying to take with me is, you know, one is your own, you've got to make movies that you're proud of yourself and that you want to go and see. And if people don't like them, that that's, that's okay. You know, as if, if you like them, that's, you're your own worst critique and uh, and I know where my weaknesses are, you know, but you have to take your hits and keep moving forward. I think that I've just, is that a line from Rocky? But it's yes, true. Rocky you know? Bob, yeah, Bob, yeah, yeah, you have to <laughs> and you've got to keep going because... It's not about how hard you can get hit, it's about how hard, uh, it's not about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you get hit and keep and getting keep, back yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. I, that is gospel because it's absolutely true and actually by the way i should have mentioned rocky in my childhood years because i have also watched that stuff on repeat and it's in You're my accidentally quoting it so my, <laughs> yeah it's in my it's in my itunes and my gym routine and all the rest of it but anyway so but it, it is absolutely true you have to you have to be able to take a step back and listen to what bits you want to but also just have that belief that you're making something that you think is decent and go for it. And then also, you know, when you do get your wins, you know, don't over celebrate in my first two years of living in LA, I had projects set up with a bunch of enormous people that didn't get made. So you just kind of have to take your good news as like, okay, that's a small win. I'll take it. And then your bad news is like, well, all right, fuck it. What can I learn? And just keep going because it's a very frustrating, slow business. But when you get to those moments where you're, you know, directing your actors on set and there is a partnership there, it is so rewarding I, I and addictive. And, you know, I cherish those moments and look forward to the next ones because it makes it all the hardship it makes it all worth it and you know that's not to say you know when you're given advice you know but more than anything take the advice that you that you merit from people that you look up to and because their voice joined with yours it really is a collaboration 
And then also when it comes to the people that you're making a film with, you know, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was a Ron Howard documentary or something. But you, it's very difficult to deliver your vision of your movie unless you have a team who can help you deliver your vision. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, the talent of people that you get to put around you. And I think that's a, an incredibly important thing because I can draw on a piece of paper what I want something to look like you know, and, and how I want to feel. But if, you know, from someone like myself that isn't technically minded, but I can describe what I want something to look like and to feel like, if you then can't translate that onto screen, something's wrong. And it's, you know, a technical uh, hindrance on yourself, but it's also needing to find people that can help you deliver on your vision for something. And I think that's, you know, I think that comes down to, making sure that you've got the strongest technical team around you who also you know understands the vision of what you're trying to deliver in the first place um and just don't give up eliana is a great example whether you're a writer director actor you know don't if you believe in yourself and you really want it it's the people that quit that don't you know that the falter you know mm -hmm. you just got to keep going that's my biggest sort of takeaway from it. Okay. All right. Well, um, typically in uh, the film exiled fashion, uh, what we normally do is we have a, a, a small little segment or basically a question we ask. Um, we call it exiled for a reason. And basically what that is, is you give a your hottest film take. So I guess you could say your most unpopular opinion in regards to a film or about film uh, that maybe you think would uh, you know make you some enemies. <laughs> or, this sounds or, like a dangerous fucking question. Say something that's going to piss people off and then you're going to get trolled the shit out of <laughs> we, we, did this event, we, we did this event on the timeline like when we first got started about a year ago and we heard some of the craziest things. And, and, and I was together, honestly. It, it really did. It was yeah. great to see like everybody come out and 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 because I feel like a lot of times people are afraid to say how they really feel about certain things because they're afraid of that blowback that you just mentioned. But it, it was I'm really kind of funny. Being I'm I'm starting to experience. Fortunately, most of the comments I'm getting on social media are very very heartwarming and lovely. However, one percent is like, yeah, I hope you die, David Raymond director. That bad. <laughs> well, not, not quite, but there's a, you know, there's been one or two where I'm like, really? That's what you say to me, like all I did was make a movie. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, well, you don't you don't have to like target like like you don't it's not targeted harassment or anything, <laughs> but just well, you know I don't like uh, shit on other people's work because I think here's the thing, people that aren't aren't doing this for a job, and I will be the first to admit this before Nomis. You have no idea how much emotional, physical, heart and soul goes into work. And if a movie doesn't work, you know, of which I've seen many of them, that doesn't mean that whoever's bust their ass making it for years and years and years hasn't suffered to, to get that to a place where people can see that their work. And that's why I won't crap on other people because it's so hard, you know, and I, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record. It is so hard getting something made 
in a in a fashion that delivers on your vision because there are so many outside factors that you literally can't control that when you're you know if anyone was to really see you know the um the what's the best way of putting this that the the sacrifice that goes into doing this you know and on no miss i i haven't got paid a dollar on it because i deferred my entire fee just to make sure we had as much on screen as possible no one will ever know that but that's you know that's four years work you know and and so no one ever knows whether it's these mega movies or these tiny little ones how much sacrifice goes into it but it really is your baby and you you do all you can to protect it Mm-hmm. So how do I answer your question of what would I say that shits on someone no, without no no it's it's well, actually not it's not necessarily shitting on someone it's uh, uh, basically uh, if uh, there's a movie that people find is unpopular uh, that that people that the mainstream finds is not a good movie something that you you'll go against that grain and be I think this movie is great like it's it's that's that's what we mean yeah. by or an, or an aspect uh, of film like yeah. it could be like an aspect of film like certain things about tropes about like genre tropes or, or something like that, you know? Yeah, just, just an uh, opinion that goes against the grain. It's not, it's not, it's not about, about... Okay, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple, but these might be really wet. So, I, I, and I think I've already mentioned it. I happen to think that Michael Bay's Transformers, the first one, is one of the best kids slash I enjoyed it as an adult movies made of our generation. Yeah, yeah, that's that we 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 all agree on that. A lot of people <laughs> shit over him and blah blah yeah. blah. I don't like what he did to the Dinobots. I think that was sacrilege and <laughs> I saw it. However, <laughs> I think what he's done and especially that first movie, I still watch to this day and look up to and and aspire to. So yeah. they yeah, we're big. We're big Michael Bay fans. Uh, a lot of the people on the pod that that contribute to the podcast, we we really think that his work is is under is underappreciated. And and all all you said before about you know people's sacrifice and how much work goes into this, we we completely agree with all of with all of that. And that's why right. we wanted to start this pod because we felt that there was like so much unfair treatment of artists. Like whenever somebody makes a movie that's disliked, it's it's just. Things just got so out of proportion, and, and we just felt that we had to. Well, yeah, it's like here's the thing: when you hear stories of, and I'm sure people can Google this because I I met this human being was not a fan. But when when you hear of directors who don't bother turning up to their own set, so another director has to direct their movie because they're too oh, fucking lazy, or because they're busy getting drunk or being unprofessional, I think that is like winning a lottery ticket and then wiping your ass with it and there are millions of people that would die to get their hands on that ticket and i think that i don't agree with behavior like that i think it's a there is it's already hard enough so when you get your shot you you know you do everything that you that you possibly can to to fight for it and make sure you you know you earn your next one and i think you know that's um, that's how I look at it. But in, in light of that, you know, when I say that it's it's incredibly difficult, it is. It, it's beyond anything I ever I ever thought it was. You know, you I survived on nine months with probably two or three hours sleep a day, 
And, you know, having played a load of sport, I've had nine knee operations. I couldn't walk after no miss for six months. Oh, really? Like, without, wow. without ache. I mean, obviously I could walk, but without truly aching and getting up at night to go and take a piss and hobbling like an old man because the cold and the winter gear. And as the director on these sets, you know, it's your job to try and keep energy levels up so that you can get through and get the footage that you need. And when you're when you're there every day with that amount of sleep, you know, with a shonky knees anyway, with these heavy snow boots on, uh, you know, it does take an effect on you. And I only realized after I'd finished filming and slept for two weeks and then you start getting up to walk and you're like, everything hurts. (laughs) Um, What else can I say that's going to. Okay, here's another one. I thought Endgame was phenomenal but i thought infinity war was fucking amazing ah okay, oh, okay. So that's that's any worth better than in game i i think infinity war was their best one and well, trust you- i saw end game four times <laughs> <laughs> we saw you no, saw I, you uh, the, really uh you know you were all over D, d23 so we assumed that you were a big marvel fan <laughs> oh no i i am but you know i Look, I grew up, I love Marvel, and I think that I, As I, we do too. what they've achieved is just beyond incredible. And I think, especially when the Russos came in, you know, Civil War was just amazing. I think Infinity War was just perfection when it comes to filmmaking, and Endgame was just amazing. However, I am a Superman, Star Wars even He-Man nerd from my job. <laughs> and, so, huh? and so yesterday I spent most of the day trying to find bootlegged footage of what JJ showed in his reel and couldn't find it online. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I think JJ is notorious for his uh for 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 his secrecy, so I don't think anything's coming out yeah, uh, until I, he I wants was it lucky to. Enough to to meet him once. So oh, and, really? Yeah, it was. Uh, I I pitched him something, and this was before I directed anything, and I was sitting on his sofa in his office. Which, even in itself, the the bad robot offices are amazing because their yeah. their waiting room has toys everywhere. So you're literally <laughs> there going, just I'm going to bring the sleeping bag and not leave. Yeah, and I, and I met him. And was sort of running him through a pitch book of mine. And, you know, I said, I'm a writer, director. And he said, yeah, yeah no, I know, I can tell. And I, and, I, and it awesome. more to me than anything. And maybe he was just being nice, but it was sort of one of those moments where you're like, well, if he's saying that, then I am. I should keep going. <laughs> I'm legitimate. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I, you know, I can't wait to see what he does. Have you it. met Chris McQuarrie? You talk about him a lot. I haven't, I haven't met him, but, you know, it, I just... I I like his sensibility, you know. I, I I thought Fallout was just amazing, but I like how much he gives to, you know, the next generation. And you know, I've learned a lot. I've never met the man, but I've learned a lot from just listening to him. Um, That's very important. Yeah. Uh, it's very generous, you know. There's other filmmakers like that who take the time to say, "Well, look, here's here's the why of how I did it and why I did it," because. There is a there is a brain behind the why of it, and that is something that you. I think a lot of it is instinct, but the more you listen to people like that that you aspire to, the more, you know, it, it teaches you how to speak the language and 
and understand why your instinct is telling you to do something a certain way. And how good was Fallout? I'm not being funny, but <laughs> I, I, te- I texted Henry when I came out of the Arclight Dome and said, mate, I've never been more proud of listening to a thousand people cheer when you took a hook to the face. Fallout <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> is incredible. The my, I think my favorite sequence is uh, when um, Tom Cruise is chasing Henry through... Uh, He's chasing Henry through through London, and I think that that sequence is just amazing. It is. Or, yeah. or the more like so the, many good. There's so many good moments in that that you know. Just like we see through Paris. Is, yeah, is, yeah, is, and that's just it. You 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 know, half of me is jealous because you're like, okay, you guys had a month to film the toilet fight. <laughs> I had three hours to film my fight on set at <laughs> four in the morning. I actually uh, think that it was only supposed to take two weeks, but they they needed more time. I, I mean, look, it's that that's something I and I'm sure everyone aspires to. But uh, what I actually love about um, Macquarie stuff is that there's such patience and heart to a lot of his work that isn't just the big spectacle. Like there's a scene where. Um, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's characters following Tom Cruise and the way she I just thought it was awesome so, oh yeah 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 yeah. that is another great scene and then those little quiet in, moments for me yeah, make and, it, yeah. and then they meet in the midst of those trees uh, and they have yeah, that yeah that's, that's a great scene yeah I love that one as well so, uh, cool. so yeah. well yeah we really really appreciate you having you on um, it's been a very spirited discussion <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we touched on things that uh, we went off script <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I gotta ask, uh, David. So you said you're a big sports fan. So uh, are you into? I'm guessing you're into football. Uh, uh, as we call it, soccer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I said football. I said football for a reason. <laughs> uh, I wonder what it's gonna be. I, I uh, I've been to one American football game and I thought it was cool. I couldn't understand why everyone kept stopping. Uh, I've been to a baseball game where I heard the. <laughs> something was going to happen and no one did anything um what's that amazing uh tom hanks movie uh with gene oh, <laughs> such a great film about uh women's baseball. baseball a league of their own a league of their yeah. own yes. okay now that's again one of my favorite movies going to a baseball game is nothing like that yeah. <laughs> so I was very disappointed. But I've been to a couple of basketball games and that's much more fun because stuff I, I was asking I was asking about football on the other side of the pond. Oh, soccer, yeah. Uh I love playing it, not a huge fan of watching it. Oh, uh, you're not so you don't have a favorite team or anything? I uh from eleven to the age of fifteen, I think, I was a junior gunner, so I've always been a Arsenal fan. Um, oh really? Uh, until I hurt my knee, but I, I, I'm much more. I like my rugby and my cricket. I just, you know, I'm, I'm the English sort of. Uh, I like playing it. I'm, I'm not one to spend all day watching, uh, uh, watching sports. Okay, I get that. I get that. Yeah, uh, you being a junior gunner is actually really, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool until you realise there's like thousands of kids doing it, and you think you're like one of twenty, and you're not. But I'll just keep pretending I was. <laughs> I could have made it. Yeah. Thank God I didn't. Otherwise, I, I you know, I, I'd never be here. <laughs> I have no one to look forward to. Slash yeah. night watch. Night, <clears throat> night hunter. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Um... I don't, I don't have anything else. Do you have any uh, like shout outs you want to give or any other uh, last comments you want to make, uh, David? 
No, I think it's, you know, I, I, I appreciate the support. And, you know, it's uh, everyone thinks because of the cast that we got, it's this huge movie. And I, you look, trust me, I think <laughs> if this movie had been made 10 years ago, we'd be in lots of cinemas around the world. But, uh, you know, I think the independent film space has been going through a massive transition in the last few years. Um, and so I just, you know, if, if you like the movie, um, please support it and get the word out because that's, you know, that's the nature of the beast these days. And I just I just want people to watch the movie and see the amazing work my cast has done because I think they deserve the recognition for doing it. You know, I have really gone above and beyond. And I think it um, the more people sing their praises, uh, the quieter I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we definitely, we definitely will. Um, uh, it's been great talking to you, and it's been great, uh, you know, getting into all the no, nitty gritty, like, the behind I the scenes. Say one more thing. Yeah. Uh, if you are recording the movie, don't post scenes that reveal certain twists. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking everyone. And I get tagged in all this stuff. So I see what you lot are doing who are posting reveals. It's not funny, so don't do it. But by all means, post, you know, nice stuff about the cast because that's always nice. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up now. Um, so where can you find the film Exiles? And why would you want to find us? Well, uh, there's been especially a few really great reasons uh, as of late. Of course, we have David and some news that just broke at the time of recording this. That is right. The Dasad news from the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Very, very interesting stuff. So definitely check out our website, theexilesnetwork.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find us at Twitter, at the Film Exiles. That's our podcast name. Uh, our network name is at the Exiles Net. We're on Instagram at The Exiles Network, YouTube, The Exiles Network, Vero, The Film Exiles. We are on Tumblr, RIP Tumblr, you died too soon. And you can email us at thefilmexiles at gmail.com. Uh, where can they find you, uh, David? On my terrible Instagram handle, Stingraid. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you don't need to look me up. Just, uh, <laughs> just follow all the cast and, you know, be nice about uh, Night Hunter. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, thank great. you very much for taking the time to do this. You were awesome. It, yeah. This was and, a great. This was a great time. Cool. And Manu, where can they find you? Oh, uh, you can find me at Man United 0710 on Twitter. Great. Wait, you're and, a Man U fan? Uh yes. Oh God, I'm pleased you didn't tell me that at the start. <laughs> <laughs> this would have gone very differently. You just. Uh, Yes and no answers. David, you just <laughs> like the film. Well, I, I kind of guess, yep. guess that when you told us you were Arsenal Gunner. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of I think, yeah, this worked out pretty damn well. Yeah, great. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> damn, I was kind of hoping we'd get you back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> when, you, when, you meet, uh, when you meet Chris, you got to get us on. So. <laughs> All right. All and right. then you can find me at Millennial Mike. And that's uh, Velcro 16, V-E-L-K-R-O-1-6. That's Velcro spelled wrong with a K. Uh, thank you, everybody, and we will talk to you all later. Bye. Thanks, guys. And we're out. All right. Oh, hey. David, Cheers, that, was, that was great, David. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. 
Oh, so did we, so did we. Um, if I get the next one made, uh, we, we can keep chatting because there's a few secret shit I didn't tell you a lot, but I just need a bit of luck, get it away, and then we'll be good. Okay, great, great. That'd be awesome. And uh, also, like, would you be interested in coming back after we've seen the movie? Uh, I would yeah, really like... Yeah. You can, uh, I can run you through some of the twists and turns and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. For us to do like a spoiler filled spot where we can just we can just uh, talk more in depth about the movie itself because uh, that'd be yeah. wonderful. We'll do a spoiler podcast on how many times you can spot Dave Raymond pretending to be the other actors in the movie. Which <laughs> is- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. No, that's cool. Because uh, uh, we know that uh, we know Snyder does the same as well on his set as his well. Oh, no, you, his is not through desperation of needing footy. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's like, okay, I'm going to put Henry's coat on because you don't have him anymore. Oh, oh and now i'm brendan's hand and no that's my head not kingsley yeah i'm everywhere (laughs) you shave your head oh god no (laughs) so so how how is it your head and there's there's hair on it driving sir driving (laughs) (laughs) oh wow keep an eye for all that when i go watch yeah good times glamour of hollywood (laughs) (laughs) oh that's hilarious Oh, right. seriously, thank you, David. This was, yeah, this thank you. We know you're so busy, man. We appreciate your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, <laughs> guys. Good. All right, bye. Bye.